Sean Cleary, Strategic Resources Chairman CEO. Uh, Strategic Resources is a Ross Beattie uh, Lumina Group company that's just completed a uh, transformational acquisition of uh, BlackRock Metals in, in Quebec, based in Canada. Generational asset, 39-year mine life. And we're currently going through project finance to complete this. And fully permitted project checks the box on all ESG counts. Uh, partners with the government and uh, the First Nations. Right, so very, very attractive um, names associated with this um, in the sense of the Quebec government, Cisco, et cetera, and um, Ross Beatty. It, it, it's, it's, set, it's set for success, it seems. But it's a very big plan from a, in a very small company. So um, why? how did you pick this up, first of all? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so the project was originally... Um, staked and claimed in 2008. I've been working on it so for the last 14 years to bring it to this point. We drilled off the property. We have about 20 kilometers of strike. Uh, we've drilled off two pits in the 43101 that we just published in November with updated numbers. We included one pit with a 39-year mine life. It was a generational asset. It's at surface and um, and basically ready for construction. Right. Okay. But like, like I say, so what market cap today is what? So we're trading at about 140 million Canadian dollar market cap today. Right. And cash position? Uh, 12 million. 12 million. Okay. And your ambition is, is to do what with this project in what time frame? So over the course of the next three years, we would like to construct the mining concentrator as well as a metallurgical complex in Quebec, in Canada. Uh, the mining concentrator to produce about a million tons of what we call VTM concentrate per year. It's an iron-rich concentrate, so it's 62% uh, iron, 1.4% vanadium, and 9% titanium. We'll take that and produce metallic uh, iron product out of that, uh, as well as it's a very high-grade metallic iron product as well as uh, vanadium-rich slag and a titanium-rich slag for the market. Three products. Right, okay. And, and well, yeah, okay. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to understand the vanadium and titanium um, markets in a second, get your sense on that. But given 66% of the revenue is, is the, the high-purity pig iron, what, um, what, what did you actually set out to do? What, what, what were you looking for? Was it really just about the, 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 the iron component or, and the vanadium and titanium are kind of nice byproducts? Or... I'm trying to just, what, what drew you to this this asset? Well, I guess back in the day, we were looking at uh, bulk iron projects in the province of Quebec and the Labrador Trough. Um, this was a very attractive uh, greenfield project that's very close to rail. So we're right by the CN Railway and we're less than an hour's drive from the mining town of Shugugumu. So access, uh, rail, power, cheap power in Quebec, the backing of the Quebec government, a First Nations group that is uh, strongly commercial and willing to partner with mining companies like Strategic Resources. Right, and and with regards to the team, so um, I always think people should you know just kind of stick to the knitting. So in terms of the, the the team that you have or you are assembling, what what do they know about this space in terms in terms of um, the commodities that you you will be pulling out of the ground? We have a very experienced team that has been on this project for many years, uh, geologists, uh, metallurgical engineers, et cetera, as well as consultants to the project, uh, very large group. Uh, 
now what we've done with strategic resources is we've tied in the uh, experience in bringing mines to production and doing corporate development with the Lumina Group Ross Beatty's team out of Vancouver. So we've merged in part of their management team with uh, with with the project team to basically get this company um, to a production scenario, um, and then. Uh, you know, build a great company from there. What, what do you mean by production scenario? You, you guys want to build it or you guys want to flip it? Well, we're going to build it, uh, but, you know, we're always open and willing to uh, partnerships and um, corporate development, uh, M&A activity, if, if that comes along. It's a very attractive asset. Uh, it's got a long life, very high cash flow, average annual revenues are just under a billion dollars Canadian. Um, you know, free cash flow of about three hundred and fifty million a year. So, really nice numbers on this on this asset and this project. Right. Okay. So it's it's, it's attractive in that sense, and um, I, I guess. And so, when, in, in terms of the um, the, the PNAV, um, do you think you think you're going to find it easy to raise the money if if you wanted to? I appreciate you. You want you've got optionality and with you know what you do and, and the timing on it. But the big one of the biggest destroyers of value for companies is raising the capex and getting this thing up into into production. Have, have you guys got the stomach for that? Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we put together a construction team to be able to do that. We're trading at right now about less than 0.1 times PNAV. Um, you know, certainly with Lumina Group, uh, they add a lot to our depth of uh, bench strength. And, um, you know, we're going to move forward on that basis. And uh, if we see the opportunity to monetize the asset, then we'll monetize the asset. Right. Okay. And it's just um, just in terms of some of the other concerns that people have around money, because, you know, it's kind of a bit risk off environment still for, for, for juniors, even advanced, um, you know, um, development stories like yourself is the jurisdictional component in terms of the, the, the province that kind of obviously they're getting behind this as that kind of fast-tracked uh, this for you in any way? I mean, what, what are the other advantages other than them becoming a shareholder? Well, you know, we have regular meetings with senior people in the uh, in the government um, who are responsible for not just this project, um, but also the metallurgical complex is located at a uh, deep sea port facility on the east coast of Canada uh, called Port Saguenay. Uh, the port is currently operating at 25% of wharf capacity utilization. So there's lots of room for this uh, project at that location. And we have a long-term lease now on an industrial park that is adjacent to the wharf, uh, which is the location of the construction of the metallurgical complex. Now, related to that, we have some you know sub-infrastructure projects which are funded um, by the government, different governments, different levels of government in Quebec. So these uh, these uh, related projects are extremely important to the development of the Saguenay region. Saguenay is a municipality of about 150,000 people. It's an industrialized area. Um, great place to be building this project. And the support of the governmental uh, agencies and the port itself is a federal Canada public port is extremely important to uh, the development of this project. Right, and are they kind of funding infrastructure builds specifically for you, or are you the beneficiary of the you know generic infrastructure bill for mining in, in, in the province? I'm just trying to understand the, how tight that relationship is. No, it's a great question. 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a mix of both. So uh, there's a um, uh, electrical uh, high intensity electrical uh, lines that have to be brought in, and uh, the extension of a gas head for natural gas, as well as um, a conveyor from the wharf. So there's different elements. There's a process water pipeline as well. So all all of all of those elements are being funded outside of strategic. So they're not on our balance sheet. Um, and we have uh, uh, essentially over-the-fence user fee arrangements for each one of those utilities. But it's important to recognize, um, you know, the seriousness of the project that, you know, we have these government agencies at all levels, federal, provincial, municipal, participating in uh, these related infrastructure projects that are tied into the overall BlackRock project. Right. And I just think that's important. And given, given the nature of what you're doing, the scale of what you of the ambition, and also the fact that we're talking about a 39 year uh, mine life on, on, on one project, um, yeah. you've got to have the infrastructure in place and the, and the backing of local and federal government for that, I'm sure. But here's the here's the kind of, I guess, the, the, the bit that people will be looking at you going, well, here's the difficult bit being it's a 1.5 billion initial capital requirement. Right. You, so, so how much and what type of money are you getting from government, from the various agencies? And, you know, what type of money is Orion Mining uh, talking about matching? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I would say that we, you really can't do anything of this scale and nature in, uh, you know, in, in a place like the province of Quebec in Canada without the full backing of the First Nations. So the first thing is that we have a life of project impact benefit agreement in place with the Cree Nation government. And we have uh, two different agreements, development agreements in place with three different bands of Innu Nation, as well as municipality uh, cooperation agreements with all of the uh, municipalities that touch the project. So all of those individual stakeholders are uh, essentially uh, leaning in to help with um, the sponsorship, financial sponsorship, of the company uh, in in ways in terms of using relationships to get the financing done. So, in terms of the um, uh, the uh, financing that's coming from uh, government just for the capex, we we do have uh, approximately twenty five percent coming from government on top of an application into uh, some of the federal funding as well. So there may be a way to top that up slightly. Uh, in discussions with our private equity groups like Orion, we think that um, them are basically matching the government's uh, um, contributions would get us to roughly around 50% of our overall CapEx need. Um, and so that, then we are debt? in discussions. Is that debt? It would be debt and equity. It's a mix and of equity. debt and equity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So some dilutory yeah. component. So there's serious in equity that. sponsors. Okay, I, I understand. But 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 this this is the problem. This is the quandary that you you guys have to face. Getting the money is is great. Getting it in a, as least dilutory way as possible is what your shareholders will be looking to you to to do. Um. So in terms of for sure. How much equity you expect to have to give away on raising 1.5 million? Love, can you give me a sort of breakdown of what you think the debt ratio, the debt equity uh, ratio would be? Uh, yeah, in simple terms, we're thinking about 50 to 60 percent debt, and uh, essentially the balance of equity, and that might take 
you know, a couple of different forms, uh, potentially some convertible, uh, some common and, and, you know, there might be a royalty piece as well. Um, so that's, uh, that's what we're looking at today. All at, all at pubco or would you do some at asset level? What, what could it look like? We're looking at both, but our sort of simple plan forward is at pubco. I, I guess you're going to go through the phases now, are you, in terms of you, you talk about, you know, over, over the next nine to 12 months, raising 750 million bucks. So you can start construction in 2024, spring 2024. Um, again, how, how does the, how would that money kind of layer into your work program as, as you're imagining it now? Uh, in terms of the cash spend waterfall, is that what you mean? Yeah. So how much do you need to raise now? How much, because look, you, you know, 140 million market cap, you want chance, you want a chance for this thing to breathe and the story to get out there and, you know, drive that share yeah. price, drive that market cap. So it becomes cheaper money as you raise. Would you go and raise it all now so i'm just trying to understand the phasing of the of the money coming into the organization and the deployment yeah i think we'll have significant commitments for most of the funding by the end of this calendar year and that's our plan so that we can be comfortable to break ground in uh, the spring of 2024 and that's also what our stakeholders um some of whom are big investors in the project are, are looking for. Right. So you're you're talking to institutional rather than retail or high net worth or, or family office and, and institutional money here predominantly. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, these are pretty big ticket items and um, it's not, you know, it's not typically, you know, um, something that we would do, um, you know, a smaller retail raise for. There probably, you know, likely could be a public equity piece to this um, as we continue through this year. But uh, the discussions that we've had with the bankers and with project finance teams for the, you know, 99% of that is institutional. Absolutely. And so, so how do you, how do you, or how are you imagining the liquidity gets driven? Because obviously a whole bunch of, you know, big companies sitting on stock. Sure. Doesn't do much to drive the share price. So again, what's what's that balance in terms of the, the register look like? Yeah, well, I would say that you know on the trading side, we've had you know uh, interest uh, from retail, from high net worth, from family office. We'll continue to do that. You know, so we raised fourteen million um, at the end of March. Uh, you know, in conjunction with uh, this uh, uh, business combination transaction. Uh, so that was you know essentially you know 75 70 75% institutional and about 25% 30% uh retail high net worth so we'll continue to do that we'll continue to get the story out there we'll work hard to um, explain to people what we're doing and why we're doing it and why this is going to be a great company. Okay. And uh, just tell me this, in terms of the, in terms of those institutional conversations, but I, I guess um, more recently conversations with government and various government bodies is um, in Canada, we're seeing a huge support for all things green, net zero and and, and, and ESG. So you've got, you know, you've got green steel, you've got low carbon big iron production, you've got vanadium batteries feeding into the kind of the energy storage um, narrative um, down the line, and obviously, um, you, 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 you've been very clear about First Nations support, and, and, and therefore, presumably, uh, accompanying ESG credentials. So, um, is is that is there any pressure on you to actually deliver on that? Deliver on those things um, as the project develops and and actually gets in, in, into production are there any kind of punitive measures in place for you if you don't do those things because you know a lot of people talk a good game 
once they got the money, they don't worry about it too much. So how, how, how do you how do you manage all all of that? Yeah. So well, first of all, from a environmental you know green perspective, this project does check all the boxes. You know, all all of our um, you know powers hydroelectric, so it's green, it's low cost. You know, if you're going to build a project like this, this is the place to do it, and this is the time to do it. You know, Canadian governments just came out with the uh, critical minerals list. Vanadium and titanium feature prominently on the critical minerals list. We know that, um, you know, vanadium usage in the steel industry is very helpful to reduce the amount of steel that goes into cars and, you know, reduces weight, et cetera. Um, and, you know, for battery purposes, the uh, vanadium flow batteries for grid are, you know, really the future for wind, solar uh, power balancing of of the overall grid. So vanadium industry expects that vanadium consumption will double over the next eight years or so. So, you know, a lot of good things happening on the vanadium side, same on the titanium side. And then on the iron side, it's, you know, massive changes in the steel and foundry industry. Uh, so Canadian government has funded the conversion of the remaining blast furnaces in uh, in Eastern Canada for the steel industry. So, you know, uh, essentially all of those plants are being converted by 2027 into electric furnaces. What that means on a, you know, sort of per plant basis, the demand for uh, metallic iron, because that's what you need for an electric furnace, not iron oxide, metallic iron, uh, is going up significantly. So the pull on the scrap supply and then all of the metallic uh, iron uh, products that go into the recipe to dilute out the contaminants and scrap. So those are essentially pig iron, nodular iron, DRI, and HBI. And the the one that the industry likes best is, is a high purity pig iron because uh, the iron yield on it is so good. So this is massively important to the reduction of CO2 emissions in North America. For every ton of steel that's produced, two tons of CO2 are produced. So the steel industry is a huge polluter. By converting to blast furnace or from blast furnace to electric, will reduce uh, CO2 emissions in the steel industry by two thirds per furnace. Okay, so that is a huge win for governments that have made commitments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions uh, to the rest of the world. And so Canada is taking, you know, strong steps towards that. United States, the same, Europe, the same. So those markets, North American market, European market for high, high purity iron products is, ex you know, extremely high. We have all the traders calling us wanting these products and they can't find them. So they're in short supply and what we're going to build and produce is in very, very, very strong demand and helpful to the environment. Right. Okay. So True green credentials, you would argue, and I guess for the, by the people who've signed up, um, uh, most most likely that you are. Um, just very quickly, um, Finland, most of our that. What are you doing with it? You're going to flip that out, sell it, just park it up for now. So Finland is a former producer. So most of our project is a it's a former uh, vanadium iron producer. Used to produce about ten percent of the world's vanadium. Um, it's uh, it's currently shut down. Um, you know. I think our focus is on the BlackRock project in Quebec uh, with, you know, the idea that we could uh, eventually um, restart Mustavarin 
and supply. It's a very similar um, grade and concentrate that we could supply into the MET facility in Quebec. Um, alternatively, we've got the optionality to flip it out. So we're, we're, you know, we, we'd like to see, uh, Finland stay in the strategic resource, uh, portfolio. Um, but we're always open to opportunity. Okay. Okay. So I just want to kind of say for, for now, your, your flagship, your, your focus is in Quebec. That's, that's where Correct. your money's going yeah. and that's where your time and effort is being spent. Okay. Just want to be clear, clear with that. Um, yeah. and with regards to just, if I, if I may come back to the money thing, because that's what people are going to be looking for in terms of, I just want to be, leave this conversation really clear in my head. You, you've got, um, I think you said, uh, was it 12 million in the, in, in the bank now or there or thereabouts? Correct. Yeah. Having raised 14 million, um, recently, um, how much of your time is going to be spent on, cause you've got the 43101 and you've got a team, you said you can build this thing and you, if you, and you want to focus on obviously raising the capital. So is your time, have you done everything you need to do apart from raising the money? Cause you're fully parameted, et cetera. I want to know where yeah. you're spending your efforts out here. Is it, is it, you know, pounding the streets and you're trying to work out where the money's coming from. It's a great question, Matt. I, I would say like most of our time is focused right now on the project financing. Uh, we have most of the detailed engineering done for the mine site and a good chunk of detailed engineering done for the metallurgical complex. So once we, um, you know, sort of have good visibility on the remaining part of the capital, We'll spend, uh, you know, sort of four to six months completing the detailed engineering, and then we'll be ready to break ground. Right. So the expectation um, is that there'll be no conditions precedent or nothing taxing. Certainly not in terms of um, timing, uh, you know, timing permits or licenses. That that that's all kind of good. First Nations um, agreements in place. Um, so there should be. Well, what, what what do you think the obstacles could be for anyone looking in? At, you know, the, at these. Um, these, these are these are large tickets you're asking people to write. So w w what would they be looking at? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, there's been CapEx inflation. Um, so overall inflation, um, you know, that has to be closely managed uh, and monitored. So we just updated all of our numbers in the 43101 that we just published. Right. Uh, taking into all that, taking into account all that COVID inflation, you know, some things are coming down now, which is, which is yeah. a positive, you know, I think the depth, uh, and experience of the engineering team is critical, um, both for, you know, the design of the plan, all the pilot work that's been done that has been completed to prove out the metallurgy of the products, uh, and then the construction team. So, you know, um, we're building in a very industrialized area that has a lot of experience in both mine building and met plants. So, you know, we're comfortable with the group that we put together in terms of project management, uh, et cetera. But I think those are the focus areas for investors. Okay. And, and obviously commodity prices, um, yeah, I, right. Metal super cycle coming. We, we, we need all of the above. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very pro money. So I'm, I'm asking this in, in, in that context is obviously Vanadium's had a sort of, uh, a, a bit of an erratic time since 2000s. Well, for a long time, but 2016 onwards is, is a kind of strange looking chart. Um, in given it's, well, what, what is it? 25% of the value of the metal in the ground? Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Correct. Um, yeah. You must have an expectation of what's going to happen there. Cause obviously I think you said in your presentation, it's, you know, vanadium batteries are fairly nascent in terms of the technology, um, there. Um, 
the use of stainless steel continues to kind of you know drive that market. How essential is the vanadium revenue to this? Can you just remind me of some of the numbers here? Can this stand up on its own two feet with just the iron component? Yes. So that's a kind of the way we look at it, Matt, is, you know, like basically the iron can pay for all the costs of, of the project. And it's a very, it's very stable. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, growing and, you know, uh, a lot of industry experts see a lot more growth on that iron side. So, so, so that's core to the overall business plan. I guess the way we look at the vanadium piece is that you're right. It's very volatile. So, you know, we've seen prices as low as, you know, maybe $20 a kilo and maybe as high as like $125 a kilo over the period that you spoke of there. And uh, that's kind of how we look at it because uh, in those price, you know, peak pricing um, times, we, you know, we're exposed to the pricing. That's the way our uh, tolling and offtake agreements will work for the vanadium. And we want that exposure to the volatility because, you know, when we get into high price uh, vanadium territory, that's an opportunity to, you know, essentially print a lot of money for the company, pay down debt. And we've seen other vanadium players do that in the past. And, but none of them have had the, um, you know, two thirds of revenue coming from the iron side. So, very stable from the iron side, great opportunity on the uh, vanadium side to be able to, um, you know, have some really good quarters. And then really the titanium is just, you know, cherry on top. Right. Okay. And with regards to, obviously, we, we understand the, the, the CapEx numbers. Actually, give me, let's keep it real simple. Um, the, so the, the, the payback is is how quick? Uh, yeah. So... Initial capital about 1.5 billion Canadian, and uh, you know, uh, EBITDA just under 500 million a year. Uh, you know, we're looking at uh, after-tax cash flow of about 350 million a year. So, you know, four years essentially on an after-tax cash flow basis. Um, project IRR is 18%. Okay, okay, which is solid. MPV for yeah. the project is like about $2 billion. Yeah, yeah, so it, 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 it's solid, steady state, th- call it 40-year 40, yeah. 40 yeah. life in mind. Okay, um, and, which, yeah. which, is, which is fine. Um, and, and, and obviously, people may not have the benefit while listening to this or watching this of, of looking at the charts, but they, they, they should. Um, in terms of, um, it, it feels like a fairly set, st- steady state, certainly in terms of the, the free cash flow um, uh, component. It, it, is that the idea or do you feel you need to kind of, you know, ramp things up in the earlier years to kind of help that kind of payback um, periods? I mean, how, how are you approaching this? I guess it's a lot. Well, we have lots of, uh, you know, um, interesting um, additional phases to the project, which are expansion opportunities. So, um, you know, we drilled off a second pit at the, uh, at the deposit. Um, so we could increase the scale of the mining and, you know, the rate of mining. Uh, so, you know, that would be a simple growth opportunity. At the, uh, uh, you know, within the tailings that we produce, we have a very nice ilmenite component. So that's additional titanium resource, which we could put in a grinding and flotation circuit to produce a separate um, ilmenite, uh, which is a titanium feedstock concentrate. Um, so 
you know, that's a very interesting expansion opportunity for uh, going forward. On top of that, we're fully permitted for a ferro vanadium plant and an electrolyte plant at the Port of Saguenay in Quebec. So we could, we have not included that in, in, in this phase of scope for the project. So we could forward integrate to produce our own uh, ferro vanadium at the port. Um, and, you know, then we've got Mustaverin, you know, so the $2 billion MPV doesn't include Mr. Varen. That's on top. That's a very interesting asset. And there's all kinds of optionality that's built into that. Um, so, you know, we have some really, um, you know, I would say uh, neat and interesting future phases to the overall project and, and for the company. And would you, would you argue that the, 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 the build design is, is fairly simple? I, I got it big. But it's it's fairly simple. There's there's no sort of new technologies here. This is fairly standard stuff. It will take four years Very to standard. build, uh, and then yeah. maybe another year to ramp up. Is that is that the way you're looking at it? The deposit, you know, that the deposit itself is a magnetite, so it's highly magnetic. So it's crush grind, magnetic separation for for the BTM concentrate. There's no flotation required, so it's it, you know it's it's trucked to a rail loading station uh, and goes down the CN rail line uh, to the port of Saguenay where it's processed and all of the processing metallurgically is very simple and straightforward. And, you know, these are old technologies. There's nothing new about it. Um, you know, I would say the configuration of what we're doing for VTM is, is uh, you know, uh, somewhat unique in that we're doing it in a cleaner, greener way uh than anybody else in the industry so you know tenovo which is our oem on um the furnace at uh at saguenay has told us this will be the 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 cleanest and greenest iron plant in the world well to, to, to that point I and mean, when we've looked at other commodities um who are feeding into the kind of the battery them the ev thematic you know more conventionally the, the, the coppers and nickels and lithiums of the world they're they're looking at premium pricing depending on the jurisdictions obviously north america everyone's got their own critical mineral list going at, at the moment um and you know there's some real drivers there for oems to demand the greenest possible commodities used within their, their product for, for you guys is there do you think in terms of pricing there'll start to be a kind of bifurcation in the market in terms of you know clean versus you know some of the stuff we, we see coming out of out of asia is that a, is that part of your thinking yeah i it's not in our base business plan uh so we've been very conservative with our pricing assumptions but we do believe that there will be some bifurcation there. Um, there's a, certainly a lot of discussion going on around that. And government policy is going to lean that way with, um, you know, various carbon taxes uh, being put in place at different borders, et cetera. So um, for sure, products down the road that are, you know, greener and cleaner and, you know, those OEMs, the end buyers, you know, the users of these products are looking at, you know, their life cycle analysis to understand, you know, what, um, you know, they're buying and, you know, how carbon intensive um, and how polluting are those products. So we do see that in the future. 
it's not exactly clear how it's all going to play out. Yeah, it's it's it, it'll, it's interesting times. Um, certainly, governments and politicians taking great strides to uh, get the green badges um, on. Um, well, look, I, I think it's a kind of first first pass. Um, re- really interesting, um, Sean. Um, the, the scale of the ambition is is is, is noted. Um, I've been intrigued to sort of see how you get on with this. The bringing the equity component in and, and how you how you you face that. And is there any conversation with the conversations you're having with obviously uh, Ryan and, and, and Quebec uh, was government? Um, they are debt equity. You'll let us know what that mix is. I guess when you when you've agreed that at that point you have those agreements in principle um, for what the amounts are and the cost of that money to to you. Is that the time you kind of step forward and? and invite other, uh, whether it be institutional money or potentially even industry money um, in? And what's the sort of timing of that? So, yeah, we're out there right now doing that. And we'd like to see everything put in place, you know, Q3, Q4. Which which bit? Sorry, just in case I'm missing it, Sean, have you already got an agreement in principle about the cost of the money from Orion and the Quebec West government? No, we're currently working on that piece. As well as right. um, you know, um, we're out there uh, looking for the balance of the financing that is required, and we're currently doing meetings, and you know, we're we're in discussions with the interested parties right now. Okay, so but, and it, it, it always comes back to money. Sorry for me. Um, with with the for. Are, when you mentioned convertibles, are you saying either of those two groups are looking at convertibles as, as, as part of this? Is that why it said equity? Is that whether uh, yeah, there could be a convertible piece? It's it's not exactly clear yet. I think uh, you know that'll get right. You know, in the next month or two, we'll we'll be able to clarify what the forward capital structure will be exactly. Um, you know, based on the interest and based on right. And do, you, and do you need that? I was going to say based on what the cost of debt is going to be. So because like I think that's really going to factor into the decision there, right? Because that, that, that's the, those are the lead orders and uh, yeah. everything kind of spins off of, off of that. Um, and that's why I'm interested in sort of the, the your your, your um, options for mitigating the kind of dilutory com- component. I, now I guess for you, given the bulk of it's institutional, they've got a much longer view of these things. It, it's it's less less of a concern. And I, I guess with the convert component it gives you up and, and and with a debt at some later point a chance to kind of refinance this thing out if, if the markets pick up as well right. i suspect um great well look sean um lo- lo- love the story um thanks for making time to come and uh speak with us and uh and uh g- good luck in uh, getting out there and um sh- sharing your story with everyone thank you well thank you matt appreciate it